Right back on the basketball recruiting trail we go, Brad. We're going to talk about a 2023 potential guard that Syracuse could snag. We will uh, reach back into the archives to, to play a segment from the Brad Klein era of this podcast. Uh, and then we'll go back for our final depth chart of the year. Brad, tell me exactly how hyped you are. I can't be more hyped right now. We're going to talk about the linebackers, maybe the most exciting position for Syracuse football this year. It's all on Locked On Syracuse, and it's right now. Our Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Such a good tune, man. You got me. Yeah, it's good. I don't mind it. (laughs) Matt Bonaparte, Brad Klein with you. Thanks for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more prop saws and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Brad, where do we start today with the newest Syracuse prospect on our radar? Reed Ducharme uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. This is a guard who stands at around 6'4 to 6'6, uh, or excuse me, a forward that stands around 6'4 to 6'6. Uh, a little skinny, 165 listed on 24-7, but a four-star, Brad. Yeah, I don't think your mistake is necessarily a mistake there because you said guard and then you said forward. He's kind of a guard-forward combo right now, and you're looking at more of a 2-3 rather than a 3-4. So, I mean, you look at him, and length is always something that I look at with his wingspan. And you mentioned anywhere between six foot four and six foot six. Sometimes it's hard to evaluate and hard to update the height and the wingspan and the dimensions of a growing kid like this guy, Reed Ducharme. But hey, he's coming from Brewster Academy. We know that Syracuse has roots with Brewster. Buddy Bayheim, Kadari Richmond, if we are allowed to say his name nowadays. So. <laughs> It makes a lot of sense objectively. Yeah. Uh, and the, the only thing that I will say is you are going to add to a guard room that's going to be pretty deep already. Um, he'll be the fourth guard in the room, right? Uh, so Ducharme, though, like you say, with that length, is going to add to the zone. And I know that that's kind of a cliche thing, but you go from last year's team, which is like, unequivocally the worst defensive team Syracuse has ever seen. And for Brad and I, who, like all of the listeners of this podcast probably did, we watched this up close and personal, and it was terrible. Oh, my goodness. The defense was so bad, and I get that the game plan was run and gun, outshoot your opponent, but how many times did they actually do it? Uh, The defense came back to bite them so many times. So I like to see Syracuse going back to its roots and actually remembering what kind of school it is. And Syracuse used to be the defensive powerhouse of the nation. Yeah. They were incredible at defense. It didn't matter how many points you they scored because they just had to score more than like 56, and it was yeah, fine. Yeah, but to me, I, I understand the defensive uptick here with a guy like Reed Ducharme with his wingspan and with his height and with his size at his position. I get it. But to me, it's not even just that. And we talked off the top 
about how he could be a guard, he could be a forward. Well, that should sound familiar to Syracuse fans because I think we're also saying a very similar thing about Justin Taylor. Some people think he's a three and some people think he's a two. And I feel like it really just depends on what Syracuse needs. But you're talking about the old Syracuse way, the Syracuse roots. I don't even know if that's necessarily just defense. It's versatility. It's flexibility for Jim Beheim or whoever is calling the shots come 2023. And if you want a little bit of an update on Syracuse's competition within this battle, uh, because Ducharme, of course, did just uh, decide on his official visit. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. But other than Syracuse, it's not the most contentious uh, race here. Syracuse, Stanford, Providence, Penn State, Iowa, DePaul are the big names. And then Brown, Massachusetts, NJIT are also in the mix. But Got to look out for NJIT. Go Highlanders. <laughs> I think they're um, Highlanders. But – I mean, this is entirely doable, is what I'm saying. Uh, It's doable right now, but we've seen what can happen with recruits that Syracuse is in on relatively early. Not saying that this is too, too early, but he's a four-star. He's got some time, so there's plenty of time for just throwing out names. The Bill Selfs of the world, the Hubert Davises of the world, the John Shires of the world to make a call and swoop in. We've seen it happen. We have seen it happen. It can happen. Uh, but I like where Syracuse is at right now. I think they're probably the big dog in the fight. Uh, maybe Iowa or Providence you can make that argument for. But Syracuse, of course, recruiting especially, hasn't been a slouch as of late. Um, if they did get this guy, Brad, how confident would you be that the backcourt specifically was on the right track going forward? The funny thing is, I don't know. I don't think Syracuse has a one-and-done player on this coming year's team. Mintz is the closest thing you have. I think, of course, he's the closest thing, but I think he will be here in 2023. So I'm already confident in the backcourt specifically for 2023. Depth never hurt, and you never know what happens. I mean, heck, we don't know. Maybe Judah Mintz is bad at basketball. We don't think that's going to happen, but it could. Hey, we all thought Benny Williams could have been a one-and-done, and that could not yeah. have been farther from the case. Oh, sure, sure. So, so so we don't know, but I will lean on the side of caution and probability and say that Judah Mintz will not be in the NBA next year. In fact, I think he's more likely to be in college, but not for Syracuse than he is in the NBA. But that's just doomsday scenario. So I do think that Syracuse has – a lot to like from their backcourt back going forward. And don't forget, Jim Beheim called this the best class he's ever had, and that was before Judah Mintz came. Before Judah Mintz came, the quote-unquote A-list guard from the class was Kadir Copeland, and we've kind of kicked him to the wayside here. So I think that he's still very capable of being a big-time contributor, and it's a guy that might even be starting by the time Ducharme gets to campus if and when that happens. Going back to Descharmes specifically here, I will say that a guy like this does flash a couple of red flags for me. Um, one in particular, I just am always skeptical when a guy is like such a string bean of a player. I mean, this dude is 6'6", 6'5", whatever you want to call it, 165 pounds, and you're probably bumping that up a little bit if you're a recruiter. 
that's not good. I mean, who are you defending at 165 pounds? I mean, that's kind of you're crazy. Defending, you're defending a small portion of the floor. It's a zone, remember? I, yeah, it, but anybody's blowing by you at that size. I think you have to put on 30 pounds. I mean, that is kind of or, ridiculous. You either have to put on 30 pounds or you're a guard, right? Yeah, but he's, I guess, I don't, I don't think, I mean, yeah, I may be easy guard. But I guess we don't really know yet. But still, I mean, he better be fast if he's 165 pounds. I mean, you can't be just a lanky dude out there with no speed. We saw that work for Marek Dolajai, but, like, it's a totally unicorn of a player. Um, so I don't really have all that much faith that this guy's going to come in and be a great defender if he's going to come in with those kinds of dimensions. No, I get it. I get it. There are concerns about who he is as a player, but – I think you look at his grade and you look at what he's been doing at Brewster as a four-star. I don't think Syracuse right now there are there's no one committed for the class of 2023. So at the very least, you have to be happy that even if this is a starting point, it's a strong starting point for Syracuse. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I think that's fair. You're making me get my hopes up a little bit, but uh, I am going to be the curmudgeon in terms of the recruiting chill. Uh, all right, Brad, let me tell you about our partners at Bet Online. They continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we appreciate you making Locked On Syracuse your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. So, Bones, we talked a little bit already about Syracuse basketball on the recruiting trail. I think right now the crown jewel of the Syracuse basketball scope is the class of 2022, and I welcome you now into the Brad Klein era of Locked On Syracuse. We're revisiting, the, uh, baby. Yeah, it's it's always 75 and sunny on this side, so welcome. <laughs> and when Brad Klein was doing the podcast alone without Matt, without Matt Bonaparte, there's a lot of time to talk, you know, on my own, and I learned a lot about myself, soul searching, and I did. Class of 2022 superlatives. Learned a lot about the class, learned a lot about myself, and I welcome you into this as well. Class of 2022 superlatives. If you're unfamiliar with the segment, go back and check out our previous podcast from a few weeks ago, but most likely to blank, least likely to blank. We're going to do most likely to land an NIL deal, a strong NIL deal, because I feel like there will be mo more, rather multiple NIL deals in the class of 2022, but who do you see as the guy with the most NIL potential in this coming recruiting class? Bones, I turn it to you. Okay, so there are a couple of trains of thought here. One that I think a lot of people will latch on to immediately is that it's got to be whoever the best player is. Sure. Uh, and I think that's wrong. I think that's just going to be incorrect. Will that help? Sure. Um, of course it will. If some guy is just a, a freshman phenom, that's going to be really, really helpful. Uh, but the other train of thought, and the one that I'm going to ride with here, 
is the guy that has kind of been the poster child uh, of this entire draft class for the, for pretty much whatever it feels like a year now. Um, I don't know when he committed, but it feels like a long time. Justin Taylor has been the head and the face of this recruiting class from, from pretty much the beginning. I mean, he has been every on every article, uh, every game he comes to with his whole family. I mean, he is the guy that Syracuse fans have come to know and love before he's even stepped on campus. So I think Justin Taylor, and I think he's going to be pretty good as well. Uh, so that's not going to hurt either. But I think he's going to show up and he's probably going to get plenty of those NIL deals. I'm not saying that he's going to be this of much of a fan favorite, but if Marek Dolezal was around when NIL was was going on, I think he'd be getting plenty of those deals because fans loved him so much. So Taylor is, is beloved by the fans before he even got to Syracuse. I think he's that's going to help him in the NIL deal uh, race. Yeah, Taylor Taylor signs his letter of intent with Syracuse in November of 2021, and he was the foundation of the class, even though he wasn't supposed to be. Remember, it was supposed to be Dior Johnson, and then it was supposed to be Justin Taylor and Kamari Lands, and then it just became Justin Taylor, and it all kind of worked out in the end, kind of. So kind of, it did. It, it's a very good class, and Bayheim says it's the best class he's ever had, but would it have been better with Dior Johnson? Yes. Would it have been better with Kamari Lands? Probably. I say probably because they might not have gotten Judah Mintz at that point, so you can make the argument, but nonetheless. I understand the take, but at the end of the day, I'm going with Judah Mintz here, right? Because I think he is, you talk about Justin Taylor as the founding father of the class and the foundation of the class. That's cool. But if you ask someone, hey, sum up this class in one name, it's going to be Judah Mintz. We got Judah Mintz. And the other thing is, how's this? Judah Mintz, if you're just talking about Red Dead Syracuse fans who have been locked in on the recruiting trail and not everyone has because more people than not are just concerned about what happens on the floor. Judah Mintz is a higher rated guard in the final rankings than Dior Johnson. I mean, that is, is he really? He is. He is. I didn't know that. It's, it's very slight. That's awesome. That is justice best served, right? So yeah. that's awesome. So you talk about, oh, well, who is the guy of the class? It's not Justin Taylor. It's Judah Mintz. Absolutely. Well, I'm not talking about who the guy of the class is. I'm not arguing that Judah Mintz is not the best player coming in. I'm just saying that the that NIL deals are going to be flowing for Justin Taylor. He's going to be rolling in it. Um so I, I kind of I got to go with him there. I think that actually this whole class will get plenty of them just because yeah. they are they're built up to be so much. And if you read and articles, they're easier recently, to come by now. I mean, Cole Swider had one, Benny Williams sure. had one, and he didn't even um, play. So yeah, and also this whole recruiting class is kind of being built up so much. The entire city of Syracuse is all over this. Who knows? Um, maybe they get a joint deal. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say is maybe they get like a even before they show up like this is these are six guys who are coming in who are supposed to be the the future of Syracuse basketball. I can totally see that. And I I think they're all going to get a little bit of of a share. So do you think there will um, be any as crazy as it sounds shooter fatigue in the Syracuse NIL realm? after Buddy Bayheim, because, I mean, honestly, he got so much NIL and so much more well, than anyone else, and everyone's comparing Taylor to Bayheim. Do you think any of the local businesses are going to be looking for a different type of guy? 
I don't know. I can't speak for the local businesses. But, but they might, will, right? Just a new No, thing. I don't think they care at all. I don't think they're going to be like, we can't take that guy. No shot. <laughs> like, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think they'll just take whoever is most popular. You think you don't think Beacon Skiff's going to hop on Justin Taylor? <laughs> they might. That was a great you know, commercial. I, like I, I loved it. I watched it as just an entertainment video, not... Uh, an ad for Beacon Skiff, which maybe <laughs> overserved the purpose for Buddy Beheim, but still, I, I think I thought it was great. I I don't know. The other thing that we have to take into account that we still don't really know when it comes to NIL is who's best on camera, right? And you and I both know that as people who work in the industry and in media. That's fair. Some people are better interviews than others. Some people are just more bubbly than well, others. So and to that point, and I Justin Taylor has my... been very good medium. Well, that's not what I was going to say, actually, but he has. Um, what I was going to say is, if you want to talk about the best player getting served the most NIL deals, Sean Tucker doesn't get many, uh, that we, at least that we know yeah. about, because he's not great on camera, and that's because he, he's kind of shy. Um, so I don't not necessarily saying Judah Mintz is going to be the same way, but I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily, just because you're the best player on the team, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the most deals. I think that, that that's kind of proven at this point. I think the other thing you have to look at is that I think it comes down to who plays well, and that largely comes down to who plays. And I think Judah Mintz is far more likely to start right away than Justin Taylor is, because I think your backcourt is Mintz at the one, Gerard at the two, and Taylor probably, probably on the bench to start the year. I don't well, think he's going to be your starting small forward. <laughs> No, I know it's a well, it's, it is a different conversation, but it's something to touch up on in the NIL conversation because it's hard to give the sixth or seventh man an NIL deal over the starting point guard. That's fair. Um, I think there's a shot that Taylor starts, I don't think it's like a zero percent chance. No, no, it's not a zero percent chance, but I do think that there is something uh, to playing time translating into NIL. Okay. Uh, all right, Brad, it is time to move on to our final depth chart of the year. We've been saving, I don't know if it's the best for last, but we've been saving linebackers for last. Uh, probably not the most competition-based one, but it definitely has some fun names in it. Uh, the linebackers have been really interesting over the past few years, Uh Andrew Armstrong was the best linebacker Syracuse had when we were freshmen. Um, and then when he left, it was kind of like, who is going to take over? Tyrell was Richards like, was good for a few minutes, yeah. and then he was off the team. Yeah, he just got taken number one overall in the CFL draft, so good for him. Yeah. Um, and then th there was a massive question mark on that position group coming into last season and the season prior. Uh, and they've shown themselves to be incredibly exciting in a really good group of guys, uh, all of them being three stars, and they're all really fantastic. Michael Jones, of course, Stefan Thompson, and Marlo Wax uh, are the three names that are going to start once again. And I have a lot of hype coming into this position group because they were really, really good last year, and I only see them getting better, especially that Michael came back. I was a little surprised that he came back. Not surprised. I, I would have come back if I were Jones, but you never know or in this day and age who's going to come back yeah. and who's not. And he had such a good stay. season last year. He was great. He could have left, and he would have been drafted. I really do believe that. He was the best prospect uh, eligible for Syracuse, but, of course, he didn't declare, so there's that. So 
I think, I mean, he's, we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about the defensive back depth chart with Garrett Williams. I'm not going to say that he has extra motivation because I don't think he needs extra any extra motivation. He's the captain, blah, blah, blah. But it should matter. It should matter that Jones knows he's playing for slot value in the upcoming NFL draft. So you look at the depth chart specifically about the linebackers, indisputably Thompson Wax Jones. But from there, it's very thin, right? And that's something I feel like we keep on saying that where, all right, we know who's going to start, but who's behind them? And I feel like your next best linebacker is probably Anwar Sparrow, Leon Lowry, but... I, I actually kind of like Leon Lowry, but he hasn't played that much, so you don't know. And Sparrow, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't he a converted defensive back? I believe he is. So uh, I'll get some. I'll make sure of that though. So you just don't know. You, you, just, you don't know what you're going to get out of Sparrow. I like the versatility. Nah, he was a linebacker as a prospect. Okay. All right. Um, he played in a few games last year, not much, and. Uh, mostly no, special he, teams. He the play. same he with Lowry. They both redshirted. Or was it? Okay. Well, yeah, they redshirted, but they still played in a handful of games. I don't think they did. I'm looking so, at there's no. Yeah, oh, and Leon, Sparrow, Leon did, but I don't see Sparrow. And Sparrow played in three games, two tackles. He played against Albany, had a couple of tackles. So he's mostly a, a he's special team player when he played. Yeah. So. Um, it, their sample size is extremely limited. And these are guys, I feel like this is what we're talking about here, where sometimes on the Syracuse recruiting trail, I, I've said this before in our depth chart segment a few episodes ago, you get a guy and he's a three-star and you don't know what he is. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we got him. Cool. But who is he again? All right, I don't have to worry about it. Fine. And now they're playing. Now they're behind you're starting linebackers, and they are likely going to be asked to play. And Anwar Sparrow is a good example because he was not rated at, out of high school. He just wasn't. Um, no stars. So I just think it's interesting what is behind the linebackers right now. Yeah, so you got Makai, Leon, and Anwar. Um, and like you say, Brad, they're all kind of unproven guys, but I'm going to choose – to go into the season and think of those guys uh, with a lot of hope because give Dino Babers all the crap you want about not bringing in the best classes. You have to give him his credit in terms of turning three stars into really, really good players. Um, so when I see that Syracuse gets a three star, I know that there's the the potential for that guy to turn into a superstar. Because um, Michael Jones, Stefan Thompson, Marlo Wax are all three stars. Uh, and we've talked many times about how Marlowe Wax decided he wanted to switch positions from running back to linebacker to fit Syracuse's better. Um, so these guys can all fit the mold if Babers needs them to. And I have faith that they can turn these guys into good players because they've done so with that linebacker position with multiple guys. Um, even Jeff Cantonarku, who has since left the program, was a really good player. Uh, so he was, see, that's that is maybe the biggest hole that Syracuse has in terms of the backup linebackers when Canton Arku left because to have him off the bench was a luxury that most teams just don't have and that's why he left because he's a starting caliber player in the power five but geez and he was great so you look at now what they have and Anwar Sparrow okay didn't really he didn't have another power five offer 
outside of Syracuse. Leon Lowry came in as more of an edge guy, so you're probably looking at him as maybe like a third down with fatigue, come in and try to stop coming off the edge as an outside linebacker. Um, I, if you want to bring pressure, um, if Stephon Thompson says gassed, you bring in Leon Lowry, I guess, maybe. Yeah, Wack, um, I, should say. I think you're you're probably not going to see them that much. Um but I am excited to see what Makai Mason turns into because once those three guys are out the door, uh, he is the guy probably as the true freshman. But um, the good news yeah, is I mean, Jones, uh, not Jones, Thompson and Wax will stay. Jones will yes. leave after this year. Thompson and Wax aren't going anywhere. So you're talking about the future of Syracuse linebackers. It's going to be okay. Uh, Makai Mason will be thrown into the fire, but not in tune with every other young guy who doesn't have experience on the team right now. Yes. Uh, all right. I think we both agree that it is, of course, Jones, Wax, and Thompson is the top three, and then you have Sparrow, Lowry, and Mason right behind him. Kind of surprising to me that there really is no other name that I even know in terms of other linebackers. There's only six of them. Oh, that's what happens. You lose Jeff Canton Arku and it's a different unit. And, and Lee think, Koba too. Yeah, Lee Koba um leaves. And that was a bit of a different situation because he kind of left on bad terms with the program. Yeah. So there's that. Um, but I do think it's maybe even more a testament to how strong the linebackers, the starting linebackers are. I don't think Jeff Canton Arku would have left if Michael Jones, Stephon sure. Thompson, and Marlon Wax were not so solidified as the star linebackers on the team. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen every day. Now make your second listen to Lockdown NBA Big Board Podcast. Rafael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin give fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects, the latest player rankings, and, of course, big boards. Follow Locked On NBA Big Board every day on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Brad and I will be back on Monday, hopefully uh, with some more in-depth on Syracuse football recruiting with Carlos Del Rio Wilson. Uh, We'll see you then.